sometimes you can see the train wreck coming. Like there are a lot of times where there are warning signs all over the place of things that are going to happen long before they happen. And so a couple of examples from my childhood, when I was eight years old, I, um, we were at a, my cousin's house. He was a little bit older than me. He had a, a go-kart and he lived in this, this woods. And so his woods, he had created this path through the woods where he could ride his go-kart. And so I'm at my cousin's house. I'm like, dude, that's so amazing. That's awesome. I want to ride that. Well, I had never ridden a go-kart before, had no idea how to drive anything that went faster than about two miles an hour on a tricycle or whatever, um, or a bicycle. I'm eight, right? So I can ride a bike by then, but I'm not used to riding a go-kart. So I'm like, dad, can I ride? My dad didn't say that. Here's what he said. All right, man, hop in. So I sit down. My dad doesn't give me a helmet or anything. There's a bunch of trees and stuff in front of me. And he says, all right, here, here are instructions. There's the gas pedal and there's the brake pedal. Have fun. And then he said, I'll be right behind you. And so don't go too fast. Right? And that's the last thing I remember my dad saying. Because as soon as I sat down and he pointed out where the gas pedal was, as an eight-year-old kid, I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm hitting that thing. So I just grabbed both hands on the wheel and I just floored it and I went 20 miles an hour directly into a tree and just wham smashed my face on the steering wheel I got blood pouring down my cheek Um, they rushed me to the hospital I've got this scar on the side of my cheek right now that uh, is a result of that tree that welcomed me to uh, on the go-kart right so there were all kinds of warning signs and you could see that this was just a bad thing that was about to take place and yet I didn't listen and suffer the consequences for it. Now, fast forward literally two weeks later. My family is at a baseball game. There's a, a local single A affiliate in my hometown. And so we're at the baseball game. I love going to the games. And so we're hanging out, we're watching the game. Well, like the fourth or fifth inning, you know, I'm an eight-year-old kid. I'm getting a little bit bored And so I'm like, I've got to have some kind of entertainment. So I'm sitting on this. My parents are in the bleachers right here. And I'm sitting up on this railing that's behind them. And so it's it's this metal or iron railing that goes all the way across um, behind the bleachers. And on the bottom of it that runs about, I don't know, a foot or 18 inches off the ground is this concrete, right? This concrete wall that runs along the bottom. And these these posts from uh, from this pole or whatever are going into this concrete little wall bottom there. So I have the bright idea. I'm like, I I look to my sister who's a little bit older than me. And I said, Hey, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit up on this railing and I'm going to swing back and go underneath the railing and come back up and sit the way I'm sitting right now. And I don't know if it's because she didn't like me and wanted to watch me get hurt or she didn't see the danger in that either. So I'm sitting there. She goes, okay, cool. And so I, all I do is just lean back and swing back and wham, my, my back of my head hits this concrete bottom underneath this railing. And all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know where I am and I'm seeing stars and I start screaming and there's blood pouring out of my head. And the next thing you know, I'm in the clubhouse at the baseball stadium and there's players around or whatever and they're putting ice on my head. They rush me to the exact same hospital and I get stitches into the back of my head this time. So those two stories literally two weeks apart, shows you that I'm not a very, was not a very bright eight-year-old, all right? And I, hopefully things have changed since then. I'm not really sure. 
But there were warning signs all around. And if I had, a, had seen any of the warning signs, it may have saved me some pain and heartache. So sometimes you and I can see the train wreck coming. Maybe take relationships, for example. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier today on, on social media in an Insta story, where sometimes, like, for you may see one of your buddies, right, for you guys, wants to date this girl. And this girl is cray, right? And you know it, and all your other buddies know it, but this guy's like, no, dude, she's so hot. I don't really, I don't care about anything else. And you just know that this relationship is not going to end well. You can see that this girl is crazy, that she's bad news, that she... This is not going to be a good thing for your friend. And yet he kind of goes into it anyway. And you can see that the end result of this relationship is not going to be good. Right? Or for you ladies, you've got a friend who she wants to date the guy that no girl should be dating. Right? That the player or the guy that's no good, that he is manipulative or he's controlling or whatever. And all of you and your friends see it, but she doesn't see it. And she's like, no, he's cute, or he pays me attention, or he's kind to me, or he bought my Chick-fil-A, or whatever. And so for whatever reason, she wants to have a relationship with this guy that everybody else knows is not going to treat her well. Um, Ironically, when I put this story out, my sister, who is younger than me, my youngest sister lives in Nashville, and she's single, and she says, hey, just tell the students tonight that all the guys are like that. Which is not true, all right? I'm just going to defend some of the guys. However... Guys, we've got a little bit of a reputation where I think, especially for you guys as teenage guys, it's up to you to change a really nasty perception that there's only certain things that you care about when it comes to ladies. So maybe, maybe that's kind of the relationship thing. Or, for example, you see the train wreck coming, you're riding with your friend who is a very poor driver. And he or she is texting and driving all the time. Right, you, You're only riding from school to your house, but you hop in the car and immediately she or, or he is pulling out their cell phone, they're texting and driving, they're running red lights, they're blowing past the speed limit, right? They're on Harmony Church Grove Road in North Paulding and they're going, they're hitting the turns way too fast and they're running stop signs and they're hitting curbs and they're running over kittens in their you know, side of the yard or whatever. And, and you just know that this is going to be a bad thing. Right? This is not going to end well, and you want to get out of the car if you're smart. Or you can take our current political climate, for an example. And I don't know how much you guys pay attention to politics and what's go- what goes on in Washington and stuff like that. But it is, a, it is a flaming hot mess. And no one wants to work together, and everybody's bitter and angry, and everybody's frustrated with each other. And no one wants to find common ground or figure out ways that, that they can work together to be able to solve some of the country's problems. And you're looking at it and going, I don't know how this is going to get any better before it gets worse. Right? All the warning signs are there. This is not good. We need to turn around before something bad happens. So sometimes you can see the train wreck coming. And you and I are in a critical part of this story, of this story of God, where there is a train wreck that's coming. And it's not good. And some of the decisions that Israel is making as a country is going to have very significant and terrible consequences for them as a nation. And if they would heed the warning signs and they would listen and turn around, 
then they could, they could save themselves a lot of pain and heartache. And yet what we're going to see is not only is the train wreck coming, but as we're going to cover tonight, the train wreck happens. And the damage and the, and the catastrophe that happens as a result of that. So we have been, in a lot of ways, kind of fast-forwarding through this story, pretty crazy. Um, and that's kind of the, the challenge with us going through an entire Bible in one year, is that we have to gloss over a lot of, a lot of things that are going on. And so we're about to do that a whole lot more. So really, I, what I want to do is kind of make sure that we recap a little bit so that we're all on the same page and we understand how all of this story is connected together and ultimately so that we see the downfall that takes place. Because I think there's a lot that you and I could learn from Israel's mistakes that could save us today. So here, let's, let's go ahead and dive in. So we've, we've fast-forwarded through the story. We're going to do it again tonight. There's almost 400 years between the time that Israel enters the promised land, right? We covered that a few weeks ago with, with senior night. They did a great job of talking about Joshua and Moses. Their leader died. They're right on the edge of the promised land. They've been looking forward to this for, for hundreds of years. And so Joshua is the man that leads the people into the promised land, right? So there's 400 years from that moment until King David becomes king of Israel. Like Tyler talked about last week, right? So there's a 400 year period. And so the video that we watched last week did a great job of talking about how that 400 years was filled with Israel, kind of this vicious cycle, right? So Israel would turn their back on God and start worshiping other gods, Right, so that would be the starting point. They would reject God and they would start turning, worshiping other gods, other foreign gods in the, in the lands around them. And so then God, because they turned their back on him, would allow them to be conquered by the, the enemies. And so then Israel would find themselves in a negative situation. And so they would be remorseful and repentant. And so they would turn back to God and they would cry out to God for God to help them. And so God would come to their rescue and he would restore the people and bring peace. But then no longer had Israel ex- experienced peace again, then they would start, their hearts would turn away from God again, and they would go through the cycle over and over again. And it was nonstop over and over throughout that time in Israel's history. And so then finally, God gives them a king. Right, So the people are like, hey, we want a king like what the other nations around us have. And so God says, fine, I'll give you a king. And so he establishes Israel as an earthly kingdom just like other nations. And so there's a king on the throne. And so the first king is this guy named Saul. And Saul in every way looked the part of a king. He was a warrior. He was big. He was good looking. He was strong. And so he looked like a noble king. The only downfall to Saul was that he had no character or integrity. And so his reign as Israel's first king was short-lived. And so then God established a second king, and that was King David. And David is known as the greatest king in Israel's history, right? And Tyler, who spoke last week, did a great job of just really focusing in on one aspect of the story, but really talking about the faith that David had in his God, And so David is a man after God's own heart and he loves God and he wants to follow God. And so God blesses him. And so David brings the the nation of Israel, unites them together and all the 12 tribes and things. He brings them all together and he unites them together. And then he establishes Jerusalem as the city, as the, the epicenter of 
not only political, kind of the political capital, capital, but also the religious capital of that nation. And so he establishes Jerusalem as that great city. And so he leads them to become the strongest nation in the, in the region in that time. And so David wrote many of the Psalms. If you've ever opened up the book of Psalms in the Bible, David wrote a lot of those. Um, and you can see his heart for God and his desire to love God and to follow after him and things like that. And for much of David, David's life, David honored and obeyed God. But David also wasn't without his faults. And David made some really significant and very public poor decisions that involved adultery, that involved murder. And so here is a man after God's ask for forgiveness from this, from this sin and from these poor choices. And so God forgave him. But as a result of some of David's choices, there was division and hatred in his family. So David ends his reign as king and his son becomes king. One of his sons becomes king and his name is Solomon. All right, so Solomon, God blesses Solomon with wisdom. Um, Solomon is known as the wisest person that ever lived. He wrote the book of Proverbs, which if you've never wrote, uh, read, 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 if you've never read that, is a great book to read. Even if you just read a, a, a proverb or two a day, um, how much wisdom and guidance you would get for your everyday life and decisions that you've got to make. And so that was written by King Solomon. And so Solomon wrote this. He was very wise and God blessed him. He built a temple in Jerusalem, which is where the people came to worship God. And it also was, and part of the temple was where the presence of God resided and where he lived with the people. And so it was a, it was a place that of all of Israel was the holiest and the, the most revered place in all of Israel. And that was a temple that Solomon had built for God. And so under King Solomon, Israel experienced tremendous peace as a nation as well as the greatest time of economic and political growth that they'd ever seen. So that's kind of the highlight of Israel in the Old Testament was David and Solomon and how God blessed them because they honored God for the most part. But eventually Solomon as well also turned his back on God. And so he failed to honor and obey God. And so he started marrying women from foreign nations. And then he started worshiping the gods of those foreign nations. Um, at the end of his life, Solomon is looking back at his life and all of the meaningless things that he made, chose to make his life about and how he turned his heart away from God. And he, at the end of his life, is realizing how worthless that it was. And so he read, and yet how they're all meaningless. And he gives a warning at the end of the book to all of us as, as followers of his and as readers of this book. And here's what he says. The last words he says are fear God and obey God's commands. He says, I've had everything that the world has to offer and it's all meaningless. Here's what matters most. Fear God and obey God's commands. But Israel doesn't take Solomon's advice. And so they continue on their downward spiral as a nation. So over the next 350 years, there's king after king that takes over the throne in Israel. And the majority of them, there's a few exceptions, but the majority of them are corrupt, they're evil, 
They worship other gods. They reject the God of Israel. And as a result of that, over these last, over those 350 years, they begin on their downward spiral as a nation. And at one point, Israel actually has a civil war and it's divided up into two kingdoms. Now, at the same time that these, these kings are ruling Israel, God's raising up these prophets, all right, all throughout this 350-year time period. He's raising up these prophets, and these prophets are going into the nation of Israel, and they're basically warning the people. They are God's spokespeople, and they are warning the people of Israel and the kings of Israel not to turn their back on God. And so there's these incredible godly prophets, these people in the Old Testament who warn the people, and if they're living in sin or disobeying God, which happened a ton, these prophets would try to steer the people's hearts back to God. And so there's prophets in the Bible like Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel who talk about these, try to warn the people to to turn their hearts back to God. So as much as these prophets tried to steer the hearts of the people back to God, the kings and the people of Israel continued to do their own thing, right? And you can see as you're reading this, and I know I'm summarizing this, but you can see the train wreck coming. Like you can see all the warning signs that they just continue to refuse to follow after God. And you can just see that this is going to end badly for Israel. And so because of their sin and their rebellion against the God who loved them and who called them his own people, Israel eventually would spiral out of control into total ruin. And so finally in 586 BC, there's a country, a nation of Babylon that was a powerful country and nation in that time that they come and they attack the city of Jerusalem, right? Which is the most sacred city there in Israel. They destroy the temple of God where, the, where God's presence lived with the people. And then they took the people of Israel as their prisoners back to Babylon. Now just think about the significance of what's taking place. God's chosen people that starting with Abraham and the promises that he made that he was going to make his, his descendants into this great nation and how he, he led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, And how he established these rules and these commands for them to help govern them and to bring peace and to bring order to them as a nation, to set them apart from other nations. And how God wanted to to guide and protect them and honor them as a nation. And yet, because Israel continued to turn their back on God, they end what is the irony of this? That they end up in slavery, just like God had delivered them from a thousand years beforehand. And the only difference between their time in Egypt and now their time in Babylon was that it was a, just a different people that were, that were ruling over them. And so the challenge that, as I, as I read this and, and just see all the warning signs and yet Israel failed to, to heed those warning signs and do their own thing and how it led to destruction. And there's a quote that Ravi Zacharias says, who is a a theologian and a a pastor and author and and stuff. And here's what he says. He says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. 
And I think Israel learned that the hard way as they're sitting enslaved in a foreign country of Babylon, looking back and having no God to blame or no one else to blame but themselves because they constantly chased after their own sin and their own way rather than listening and walking in in obedience to what God had called them to do. Now, I think you and I can learn a ton from this part of the story. And this part of the story, honestly, it's tough to watch. It's tough to read about. It's tough to hear. Because Israel had forgotten their place in God's story. They had forgotten their place in God's story. They had rejected God nonstop. They had chose to worship other things rather than the God who had established his covenant with his people. And over and over again, God gave them this warning. Hey, walk with me, obey me, follow my commands, and I will bless you. And yet Israel forgot their place in the story. And as a result of them turning their back on God, it led to their destruction. And it cost them more than they ever thought it would cost them. And so you and I can learn so much from this story too. You and I don't have to repeat the mistakes that Israel as a nation made. But when you and I forget God and our place in his story, we forget who we are and what our purpose is. I mean, that is a sum is that we can't forget God and our place in the story because who we are and what our purpose is is tied to who God is and what our place is in this story that God is writing. And when we do that, the results are catastrophic in our life. Do that, the results are catastrophic in our life. You and I cannot forget what our place is in this story that God's writing. And so you ask, what, what is our place? There's two quick things I want to cover with us that will help us understand what our place, what your place and what my place is in God's story that he's writing. The first thing is our place is to know the story maker. Our place is to know the story maker. One of the biggest takeaways of this story that we've been looking at from beginning to end is that God created you and I to have a close connection with him to be rightly related to him, to have a close personal relationship with him, to know the story maker. More than anything else, that's your purpose on this planet. That's why you are on this earth, is to know the story maker. And it is possible for you and I to know him and to to be closely connected with him. And we see what happens when sin gets into the picture. We see what sin does to that. And we saw it in the garden with Adam and Eve and how they rejected God and how sin just made a complete mess of this planet and how it severed that close relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God. And every single day when you and I choose to do our own thing and to walk in disobedience to God or to look at the ways, the things that God has called us to do and to say, no, you know what? God, maybe I'll come back to that one day, but for today, I'm gonna do my own thing. And when you and I choose to do that, That sin gets in the way and it hinders the purpose that we're on this planet for. And that's to know God, to know the story maker. That's why you and I are on this planet. And one of the reasons why this Tracing the Thread devotional that we're doing is so critical 
is because it helps us know the story maker. I know so many of you guys have picked up this book and some of you guys are staying faithful to that and it's starting to change your life and you're learning so much about that. Some of you guys have picked up this book and maybe it's, it's kind of collecting dust right now and you haven't really picked it up. Some of you guys have never engaged in that at all. And that's why we're pushing this so much because it helps us with the chief purpose that we have is to know and glorify God, to know the story maker. Micah 6.8, here's what, Here's what the prophet says. He says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. And here's the last thing. To walk humbly with your God. So this guy Micah is one of those prophets that God had sent to warn Israel during this time where they were were turning their backs on God. And he wrote this warning to the people just before half of the kingdom of Israel was taken captive. And he's writing to the people. He's throwing out all the warning signs. He's saying, turn back to God, love God, walk humbly with him. That's why why you exist. And he's trying to tell us that we were meant to walk humbly with God, to realize our need for him and to trust him. So this story is not about us. As much as sometimes we want to make it about us and we want to write our own story, the story is not about us. It's about God. But you and I have a significant part to play in this because we're invited to know the story maker. We're invited to understand who he is and to see his goodness. Here's the second part. The second thing that that is our place in God's story. We are, not only are we invited to know the story maker, but to become storytellers. So even though this story isn't about us, God invites us to tell other people about his story. So as you and I experience and understand and know God more, as part of that, God says, now go tell my story. Now you go and I want you to be my mouthpiece. I want you to be my storyteller to other people who need to understand my... Same time that this guy Micah is going as a storyteller, going and communicating God's message to Israel. There's this other prophet named Isaiah who is doing the exact same thing. And so there's all these prophets who are trying to steer the the people's heart back and they're warning God and they're declaring God's story to the people so that they don't turn... At one point, he has this vision in Isaiah chapter 6. And this vision, in this vision, he sees God. He sees God in heaven, in his temple, and he's blown away by the holiness of God, and he sees the the worship that's taking place, blown away by the holiness of God, and he sees the, the worship that's taking place. And not only does he see God, but he also is overwhelmed by his own sin. And he sees how wretched and evil he is, even as God's messenger, even as God's prophet. And so at one point, a hot coal is taken in the, in the vision, it's taken off the fire and it touches his lips and it purifies his sin. And then God speaks in this story. And listen to what he says in Isaiah 6 verse 8. Isaiah says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? 
And I, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. So when Isaiah saw that there was a part for him to play in the story, he jumped on it, right? He's seeing God in his holiness. And then God's saying, hey, who can I send as a messenger to my people? And Isaiah's going, hey, God, I'll do it. I'll be your spokesperson. I'll be your storyteller. I'll be your messenger. And so then God says, all right, so I'm gonna send you back to the people. And God gives him a message to proclaim to the people. God gives him a message to go back and and to tell to the rest of the people. And part of the message is a warning. Hey, turn back to me. Don't turn your back on me. And so part of it is that. But another part that, that Isaiah is sent by God to declare to the people is hope. And this is what is amazing to me about our God. Is that in the midst of a time where the people are completely rebellious against their God and they over and over again are saying, you know what, God, I don't care about you. I'm gonna do my own thing. And where God could have just been like, you know what, I'm done with this people. I'm gonna move on and figure out something else even though God is hurt by their sin and ultimately gives them what they want their own way, yet God is still providing hope for his people. And even though his people have turned their back on God, God has refused to turn his back on his people. And so with the warning of, hey, turn back again to provide a promise, and to provide hope into the story. And what God is using Isaiah as his messenger, as his storyteller, is to tell the people of Israel that he's about to send a hero. That there's a, he's about to send a hero. That there's about to be a twist in the story. And that even though they're about to be led into exile because of their sin, that God is refusing to give up on his people. And here's what he says in Isaiah chapter seven. He says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It's the exact same thing that the angels, when the hero arrives on the scene. And, the, and we see at this point in the story, it seems so odd that here is a nation that is rejecting God and they're about to be led into exile. And yet even then God is saying, hey, I've got something better for you. Hey, I'm not finished with you. Hey, I, I know the end of the story from the very beginning. And so I know even though I'm warning you right now not to turn your back story from the very beginning. And so I know even though I'm warning you right now not to turn your back on me, I know what's gonna take place. And I know that you're gonna reject me and I know that I'm gonna allow Babylon to come and take you into exile. But I also know that I've got something greater in store. There's a hero coming. There's a hero coming that's gonna rescue and redeem my people permanently. And in Isaiah chapter nine, he gives more of these incredible messages of hope. And he says, for a child is born to you, 
A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. I don't even know that I didn't. Commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. In other words, God is saying, I'm bringing the hero. I'm bringing the Messiah. I'm bringing the savior of the world that's not only going to rescue and redeem Israel, but it's going to rescue and redeem the entire planet. Israel, but it's going to rescue and redeem the entire planet. And it is because of my passionate commitment to this story that I'm writing and these people that I love that I'm not going to give up on them. What an amazing message of hope that that is for you and I. That in the midst of our rebellion, back on God and we say, no, God, I'm going to do my own thing for a while. And how God in his heart still says, but I don't want to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on you. And you may run away from me, but I'm going to keep chasing after you. And you may turn your back on me, but I'm still going to love you. And you may think that there's all these other things on this earth that are going to satisfy you more than I can. But I'm still going to things on this earth that are going to satisfy you more than I can. But I'm still going to be waiting there when you realize, when you're left with nothing, that I'm the only thing that can satisfy you. Because I'm the story maker. And I'm the one that's created you to know me. And I've come to provide hope for you. And if you will just turn to me, then I can change and transform your life. Here's the main point for us tonight. Throughout God's story, we are reminded of the impact of our sin and the need for God's help. So here's my question to you as we close tonight. Have you forgotten your place in God's story? Do you understand that you have a significant part to play? Have you lost sight, like Israel did, of the God who made you and loved you and wants to know you and and for you to walk with him every single day and for you to experience peace and hope and life and for you to experience peace and hope and life and freedom that only he can provide? Or have you lost your way, chasing after other things, rebelling against the God who is standing there all along saying, I'm here. And I sent Emmanuel to be with you and to pay the ultimate penalty for your sin so that you could know me. And it is possible every single day for you to walk with me. So don't forget your place in my story. You've been created to know the story maker. And then you've been given a message to go and proclaim as a storyteller, to declare God's goodness, to declare the heart of God, his passionate commitment to his people. Don't lose sight of that. Don't forget who you are 
and what your purpose is. Let's pray together. God, I pray that we may learn from the train wreck that happened in the Old Testament. God, from the mistakes constantly over and over again that the nation of Israel, your chosen people made. And God, it cost them more than they ever thought. It took them farther than they were willing to go. And God, sin does the same for us. But God, if we will walk with you, God, if we will understand our place in the story, if we will understand that we were created to know you and to become your storytellers, God, that we can experience the hope and the peace and the freedom every single day that you offer. God, I pray that you may help us to learn from their mistakes. God, I pray if there are students in the room tonight, God, maybe who have lived their life full of sin and maybe they've chased after the things that they feel like are gonna satisfy them. And God, whether it's cost them everything now, God, I pray that they would see the warning signs and realize where that road's gonna end. God, I pray that they would turn around before it's too late, before they lose everything. And God, they would realize that you are the only thing that can satisfy. Thank you, God, that you sent Emmanuel, God, with us. Thank you that we have a chance every single day to know him. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.